Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Founded in 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the greater Boston area and beyond. We are located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets, across from the Public Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. I just discovered an ancient Zen Buddhist teaching I had never encountered, and I'm excited to explore it with you this morning. It says, do good, avoid evil, appreciate your lunacy, pray for help. I loved it right away because it's so plain. There's nothing apparently lofty about it, especially I appreciate its assumption that we know the difference between good and evil, do good, avoid evil, that we're all one sandwich short of a picnic, appreciate your lunacy, and that asking for help is a spiritual practice. It's simple, but let us not be deceived by what appears simple. Simple is not always easy. Four directives in one, do good, avoid evil, appreciate your lunacy, pray for help. Let's break this down. First, do good. Writer and Zen priest Norman Fisher writes, say hello to people. Smile at them with your eyes. Tell them, happy birthday. I'm sorry for your loss. Is there something I can do to help? These things are normal social graces, he says, and we say them all the time. But to practice them intentionally is to work a bit harder at actually meaning them. The spiritual practice is to genuinely try to be thoughtful, and helpful and kind in as many small and large ways as we can every day. What's the, t- the pandemic version of this? It starts with lying low, and when we venture out, wearing a mask, keeping our distance, remembering that this is hard for everyone. In these times, doing good demands ingenuity. I love this poem by Alison Luderman. It's called Small Talk. You'll hear a biblical reference to marrying the wrong sister. That's Jacob, tricked by his father-in-law Laban into marrying Leah, the older sister of Jacob's true love, Rachel. Here it is. At least once a day, I trudge up 38th, take a ride on Neville, and wind around the little green patch of park, past empty tennis courts and the deserted soccer field, where right now a masked man is playing with a remote control race car all by himself. I plod up Brookdale wearing my own mask, anonymous, featureless. I'm free to be anyone, a bank robber, or a surgeon, 
or a biblical bride tricking my unsuspecting groom into marrying the wrong sister. Although as I climb the hill and start to sweat, I confess I pull the thing down for some air. When I see someone walking toward me, we do our pandemic do si one of us dancing off the sidewalk to avoid the other. Beautiful day, says the stranger. Yes, yes, the roses, I reply. And we wave from afar. This talk I used to call small in the days I used to call ordinary. Do good. And second, avoid evil. Without getting too preachy, let's reaffirm that we know, each of us knows the difference between good and evil, and each of us is in the embrace of this wildly forgiving, saving faith. If we make a mistake, we say the nine magic words that could change the world. I'm sorry. I made a mistake. Please forgive me. And we do everything we can to make it right. Norman Fisher writes, to avoid evil means to pay close attention to our actions of body, speech, and mind, noticing when we do, say, or think things that are harmful or unkind. When we embark on this spiritual path, we commit to paying attention when we fall short. Norman Fisher explains, having come this far, we can't help but notice our shoddy or mean-spirited moments. In the past, we might have said to ourselves, if she hadn't done that to me, I wouldn't have said that to her. It really was her fault. Now we are willing to accept responsibility for what we've done. So pay attention to what we do and think, not obsessively, not with a perfectionist flair, but just as a matter of course and with understanding and generosity. And finally, we free ourselves from most of our short-sighted and ungenerous thoughts and words. I didn't have to look far for an illustration of this point. Recently, I stopped into our small local grocery store where a sign asked customers to sanitize their hands before stepping farther inside. Two men were just ahead of me. The bottle of sanitizer was empty. One spoke sharply to the woman behind the register, and I saw her recoil. The other man asked, is there a refill? I could grab it. Especially in these times, the emotions in every human interaction feel amplified. Crudeness, carelessness, and cruelty cut us. Kindness is like desert rain. I realized that I had a part to play in the scene that was unfolding. First, I said something affirming to the cashier. It was busy, and she was holding down the front of the store by herself. And then I said something to the man who had been unkind. Not exactly evil, but let's just say he wasn't winning. I could feel his restlessness. I said, everything's hard right now, isn't it? He looked at me as if I had spoken to him in a foreign language, which perhaps I had. But he nodded 
just slightly. And I prayed that acknowledging his struggle might help even a little, because after all, why would someone act like a jerk if they were feeling peaceful and happy? When his friend returned with the refill, the offending man took up the empty bottle, unscrewed the lid, and held it steady while his friend filled it up. Do good. Avoid evil. And third, appreciate your lunacy. According to Norman Fisher in traditional Buddhism, this directive has to do with making offerings to two different kinds of creatures, demons, who do what they can to derail us from our spiritual path, and protectors who guide us in staying on it. Demons, protectors. Honestly, sometimes I think life would be simpler if I actually believed in these creatures, or at least acted like I did. Maybe you do. I think of demons and protectors as forces within each of us. We all contain seeds of good and evil. Which are you watering? Actually, many spiritual traditions have a name for the forces that assail us on the spiritual path. Author and Vipassana tradition meditation teacher Jack Cornfield writes, the Christian Desert Fathers, who practiced nearly 2,000 years ago in Egypt and Syria, called them demons. Father Evagrius left a Latin text of instructions for those who meditate. Stay watchful of gluttony and desire, he warned, and the demons of irritation and fear as well. The noonday demon of laziness and sleep will come after lunch each day, and the demon of pride will sneak up when you have vanquished the other demons. In Buddhism, the practice is to identify and name the demons, known collectively as the hindrances to clarity. The Buddha himself called his assailant Mara. He would say, I know you, Mara. As English poet William Blake wrote, those who enter the gates of heaven are not beings who have no passion or who have curbed their passions, but those who have cultivated an understanding of them. I've always loved the story of a retreat Jack Cornfield taught many years ago in California. His students on that retreat were therapists from the primal scream tradition, a practice of release and catharsis. Do you know about this? So apparently after a few days, they approached Jack to tell him that meditation was not working. We need a place to release, they said. Could we please use the meditation hall at a certain hour of the day to scream because otherwise it gets toxic when we hold it in. In all his wisdom, Jack suggested that they return to their meditation to simply be aware of what arose and see what might happen, adding that it probably wouldn't kill them. Since they'd come to learn something new, they willingly rose to the challenge. And after a few days, they returned to check in amazing, they reported. After sitting with their feelings, they found that their feelings changed. It turns out that if we're not hooked, or if we can unhook, 
it all passes through and passes over like a great storm. Appreciate your lunacy can mean bowing to our weaknesses, our resistance. In other words, bowing to our humanness and really acknowledging the extensiveness and insidiousness of our confusion, selfishness, resentment, laziness, jealousy, all those unlovely weeds that pop up in the garden. Norman Fisher writes, we come by these things honestly. We've been well trained to manifest them at every turn. This is the prodigy of human life bursting forth at its seams. It is the effect of our upbringing and our society, which we are trying to tame and bring gently around to the good. So we make offerings to the demons, the demons inside us. And we develop a humorous appreciation for our own very humanness. We are in good company. Do good. Avoid evil, appreciate your lunacy, and fourth, pray for help. I know the word prayer is loaded for some of us. I myself took a long time to make peace with it and to find a way to pray that really feels life-giving. Prayer is a powerful practice, whether we imagine a god or a deity or not we can reach out beyond ourselves. The worn out joke about Unitarian Universalists is that we begin our prayers to whom it may concern. We can pray to whatever forces we believe or don't believe in. Norman Fisher insists that prayer is not asking to be absolved, not a matter of abrogating our own responsibility. When we pray, we're asking for help and for strength to act with the understanding that whatever goodness comes our way from a wider sphere than we can control, prayer reminds us that both self-reliance and personal accomplishment are illusions. If we are wise, we have learned that there is no way to do anything alone, and we accomplish nothing by ourselves. If we feel lost, we can pray to be found, even though we are never really lost. We can pray to see clearly, to be useful, and to keep our broken hearts open. I changed my mind about prayer one very dark night on a back road on Cape Cod more than 30 years ago. A parishioner, a Brewster parishioner I love named Lee had called me. Normally unflappable, she was a nurse who had been running medical supplies in support of the revolutionary government in Nicaragua. She was clearly shaken. Lee had adopted a slew of kids and after her husband ran off with his secretary, raised them on her own. One of her sons, Tim, had struggled mightily with addiction and it landed him in jail. No amount of reaching out to him Offers of help or love without condition could reach him. He was always on her mind, a sharp pain in her huge heart. 
Lee was calling me because she had just answered her front door and Tim was standing outside. She had no idea what to do. Could I please come? I was 27 years old and I was still learning that in situations like this one, it doesn't matter if you think you know what to do or if you really have no idea or if there's really anything anyone can do. What matters is that we show up. We show up for each other. So I was heading for Lee's house, driving that dark road with no idea what I was going to do or say, no magic tricks, nothing up my sleeve. And it occurred to me to ask for help in that to whom it may concern kind of way. Because there was nothing else I could think to do. I drove and I prayed. Hedging my bets just in case I might get a hand from beyond. It's possible that my entire prayer was if I could just bring a little light into all this darkness. Everyone would appreciate it. Thank you. And clear as a bell, a response flowered in my heart, a single phrase I had loved and carried with me from my teenage years, words from Willa Cather's Death Comes for the Archbishop. Where there is great love, there are always miracles. As it turns out, I think that's how prayer is supposed to work. And it did work that night. Me seated in Lee's living room between her and Tim, me reminding them that love is the greatest power in the world, stronger than illness, stronger than broken trust and broken hearts, stronger even than death. They took it, took love, and ran with it, and never looked back. And Tim did recover, and made amends many times over. Years later, he held his mother's hand as she lay dying, and we remembered that night and the choices they'd made and wept all over again at the miracle of love. Beloved spiritual companions, do good. Avoid evil. Appreciate your lunacy. Pray for help. Where there is great love, there are always miracles. Remember, your love is a miracle. Amen. And now for our benediction, I invite you to put your hands over your heart in namaste. I bow to the divine in you. Our benediction is from American poet Mary Oliver. I don't know exactly what a prayer is. I do know how to pay attention, how to fall down in the grass, how to kneel down in the grass, how to be idle and blessed 
how to stroll through the fields, which is what I have been doing all day. Tell me, what else should I have done? Doesn't everything die at last and too soon? Tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? Let us keep this faith, beloveds, and pass it on. The service begins when the service ends. Bless your hearts. I love you. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear from you via email at office at ASCBoston.org or through our Facebook page. If you would like to support the good work of Arlington Street Church, please consider a contribution by checking the mail or through our website, ASCBoston.org.